This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. Did the world's most dangerous theme park threaten and thrill teens throughout the 1980s? Strap yourself in and let's find out. Once again, it's time for the idiots. An objective defense of the 80s. From a couple of idiots. Hey, it's a good thing the theme is long. (laughs) Hey, welcome back to another episode of The Idiots, an objective defense of 1980s pop culture from a couple of uh, amusements. Um, Joy seekers. Okay, there you go. Hey, my name's Will. (laughs) We got to get this on video. We got to just start doing videos. So you have the greatest expressions. My name is Will, and joining me, as always, is my friend and my co-host, Ray. Hello, Will, and hello, everybody else. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about amusement parks, theme parks, county fairs, those types of activities that brought us joy in the 1980s. And a little bit later, we're going to be joined by the writer and co-director slash producer of the well-reviewed, very thrilling, highly compelling uh, documentary, Class Action Park, Mr. Seth Porges. And of course, we're talking about Action Park, which was this theme park uh, in New Jersey that was renowned for how dangerous it was. Uh, if, if, if the 1980s uh, you know, could be embodied in, in a theme park, it was that. It was that kid in school who was a little dangerous, you know, that was building a ramp in front of his house to jump things, mm-hmm. who did a bottle rocket, uh, you know, uh, duels with his friends, that kind of thing. <laughs> that person was a theme park. That was Action Park. <laughs> right then. Before we do any of that, please like, subscribe, rate, review. Do lots of things to let folks know you love the idiots because then it helps other people find us too. It's computer algorithms. It's, uh, you know, whatever. Blame Mark Zuckerberg. Don't blame us. Or those two guys who created Google. I can't remember their names. Uh, Ed Google and his brother yes. Leo. <laughs> the Google brothers. <laughs> the, the Google brothers. Not to be confused with the Google dolls. Right. And additionally, let's take care of a couple of show notes, business items. Now I say that, don't, don't, don't change the dial. Don't skip ahead 30 seconds. <laughs> this is interesting stuff, right? Uh, a few things. One, after you get done listening to our silliness today, you got to check out the Gen X Grown Up podcast. Uh, I, had, was, I was absolutely delighted to be a guest on their show today where I spoke with John and the boys about the free toys and prizes we would get in foods when we were kids, you know, some cereal or Cracker Jacks, all sorts of, you know, nostalgia that we went through. And it's all hilarious. Those guys are great. Uh, they're kids just like us that grew up in the seventies and eighties. So check out Gen <laughs> X grown up podcast. You can find it everywhere or go over to their website, genxgrownup.com. Uh, we also wanted to tell you that coming up soon, uh, just like we did last year, we're going to be doing our own form of March madness in the form of smash madness. Uh, Ray has put together a collection of the, the best heroes and the baddest villains from 1980s films. And we're going to have them go head to head in an imaginary contest you know it's going to be uh 32 characters enter one character leave kind of situation yeah because you gotta you gotta do both brackets yep and then you get one hero and one villain and then they duke it out to see who's the winner yeah and i believe for whoever gets the most of these you know right yeah i guess compared to everybody yeah there's like a prize or something yeah we got to figure out what that is but yeah last year we gave out a t-shirt maybe it will be something even better a t-shirt from another company (laughs) <laughs> but on February 21st, we will uh, post the bracket and then you can start sending those in to us. Look for look on Facebook and certainly we'll talk about it on the show for more information. And finally, we wanted to let you know that uh, on Friday, February 19th, which might be today by the time you hear this episode, uh, we're going to be doing a Facebook Live at 9 p.m. Eastern. Come and join us. We're going to be uh, just having uh, open discussion with our listeners there and also share some stories that we haven't shared on the podcast. Let you know what's coming up. Uh, get your thoughts and feelings about some things that we've talked about already and so on and so forth. So that's Friday, February 19th at 9 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. All right, I guess that's all that. Hey, let's get caught up on 80s news. So my wife listened to our true crime pod, quote unquote, true crime podcast from last week, which by the way, I I really, that was a lot of fun, I think, you know? Yeah, crime is fun. I could almost think we could do a true crime podcast where one of us tells the story and we make it seem like a real 
podcast and then the other one's free to interrupt. I think that would be a huge thing. You know, I, I've listened to podcasts that are kind of make light of the stories and make listen to podcasts that are serious, but not mm-hmm. one that tries to do both at the same time. That's true. And you could tell whatever story you want then, you know, if that's what our podcast was. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's also true. Mm. So my wife was, my wife listened to it. She listens every now and then. Not, not as often as she did when it first started, but she listens every now and then. And she said to me, why would you, what did you, why did you think uh, Zac Efron would be good for Link? I guess, something like that. And I said, well, it seems like every time we, there's a role available in a movie, Ray says, let's get Zac Efron to do it. Yeah, it's either Bruce Campbell, Zac Efron, yeah. or Seth Green. That's pretty much the only three people that are in Hollywood that I yeah. trust to be anybody anymore. <laughs> that trusts. So- this is an older story, but linked to a new story. We just learned from Deadline that the woke director, Mo Marable, is set to helm Disney Plus's Three Men and a Baby reboot, starring Zac Efron. Are the other, is it Seth Green, Bruce Campbell, and Zac Efron? <laughs> That'd be great. The article's like, to, to appease the tastes of Ray from the idiots, <laughs> cast all of the people he could trust. Of course, the original movie starred Tom Selleck, Steve Gutenberg, and Ted Danson, who were huge in the 1980s um, as three New York bachelors that were, you know, sharing time, taking care of a, a baby that uh, had showed up unexpectedly uh, because of, I think it was Ted Danson's kid, right? I don't remember a whole lot about that movie, except three dudes somehow ended up with a baby. Yeah. That's all I remember. And it was like a remake of a French movie. No, because uh, we do that in America often. Mm-hmm. Reboot stuff that worked well in another country. So there's no... Uh, date yet as to when we're going to get to see this, but it's going forward with one of your favorite actors. So I don't know. You know, usually we, we debate whether or not you need to touch anything, remake anything. Three Men and the Baby, the original, it was fine. So, you know. It was watchable. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's about it. It may or may not have had a ghost of a child who was murdered in the house where it was filmed, <laughs> yeah. lurking in the background. Yeah, I remember that better than I remember the rest yeah. of the movie. That's true. I remember there was a sequel. It was like three men and a little lady. I don't. I don't think I ever saw that one. Hmm. Yeah, fine. So you know what? Go crazy. We'll see. I feel like if it was a, if they're really good movies, we're more protective, I guess. Yeah. Because what are you going to improve? But yeah. yeah, I'll allow it. In other '80s news, we are all always out here to prove that the 1980s was the best decade for pop culture. And if look no further than this headline from just this weekend, Janet Jackson thanks fans after the 1986 album Control tops the charts again. <laughs> so. This uh, album, as I mentioned, was released first in 1986, so it just celebrated its 35th anniversary, and quickly on the heels of that, the album was number one on the Apple Top 40 U.S. Pop Album Charts, and was still uh, number 12 as of uh, just uh, this past Saturday here, February 13th. Janet, did, did, you got something to say? No, I was thinking there's something else I want to tell you. Oh, <laughs> but, but go ahead. We're doing a podcast <laughs> to thank her fans. Janet Jackson recorded a little video that she posted online, and she she said, "You're so special to me, and I want to thank all of you for making Control Number One once again after 35 years. I never, never in a million years, I would never think that this would happen. I really appreciate you and love you so, so much. Thank you, and so on and so forth. I was a huge fan of that album. Were you a Janet Jackson fan in the 1980s? No." I, I couldn't name I couldn't name one song off that album. Oh, really? Yeah. I bet you know more songs on that album than you realize. Like, um, what have you done for me lately? Okay, I've heard of that one. All right. How about uh, uh, who's that singing that nasty song? Nasty boys. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, All right. right, that rings a bell. How about Pleasure Principle? Oh, no, that oh. one's not ringing a bell. You must know the title song, the uh, titular song, Control. Control. What? Yeah, I, I remember that one. All right, so hey, I was the Janet Jackson fan. I remember when I was DJ. I remember, you know, you have a lot of specific memories from childhood are connected to music for me. So I remember, uh, you know, I was, you know, I've said this a million times on the show, and you know this before the show, of course. I was DJing, I was probably 14 or 15 years old at a block party at the end of this street, not too far from where, uh, uh, what were we talking about? Toxic Avenger was filmed. And I was on a porch with my turntables and giant speakers. I remember playing uh, songs from this album. Hmm. And a girl I liked was there. Uh, it felt like first love. That was a good summer. <laughs> no. uh, what, a lo- what a lovely story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, in other 80s news, here's more uh, good news connected with 1980s music. We have learned the new 2021 Rock Hall nominations. Most oftentimes, you know, every now and then they throw you a bone of somebody you care about. 
this year, there's at least two folks in there in a list that I think one is a particular interest to me, one's mm-hmm. a particular interest to you, and there's some overlap there. This year, the nominees include a number of folks and, 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 and folks who made it in the, in the 1980s, like Devo and the Go-Go's. But what got my attention in particular was the inclusion of LL Cool J mm-hmm. and Iron Maiden. Yeah, from what I've heard, Iron Maiden is not going to accept it. Oh, why is that? Because they think the Rock Hall is an embarrassment because mm. they let people like LL Cool J in. <laughs> I see. So they, they take that literally, that uh, they're of that camp. The rock and, rock and roll is a particular genre of music. Well, Get your own Hall of Fame. I also, yeah, I also think they're pissed off because it took the Rock Hall so long to put mm. them in. What are you going to do? There's so many hundreds and thousands of musicians over the decades that the Rock Hall has been, actually even prior to the Rock Hall, that, that probably deserve to be honored. There's got to be, it's got to be tough to figure out who to nominate year after year. Oh, I'm sure, but Iron Maiden and Judas Priest should have been in decades ago. But what decides that they should have gotten in decades ago versus someone who's been in already, like Madonna, let's say, or, uh, well, Madonna, that's a bad example because that's not even rock and roll. Because they're, they're better. <laughs> well, and they came out... 10, 10 years basically before her. Hmm. So generally they were able to be nominated way sooner. That is interesting that you say it that way because it does make it sound like maybe people should get nominated and you know admitted to the hall in chronological order based on well, their success. I, I believe your first album had to come out, I think, 20 years before you're eligible to go into the hall. Right, right. I think that, yeah, that sounds right. But if that's the case, then you're right though. Um, they had hits before other folks that are in there, I'm sure. Yep. Well, how do you feel? Do you think that the Rock Hall should just be rock and roll? I'm kind of torn on that. I want to say, yeah. I think there should be a separate hall for for rap yep. and dance. But then at the same time, you know, there's so much crossover anymore. You know, it's tough. Because yep. I, I do think like NWA definitely belongs in the, the Rock mm. Hall. There you go. Because they're groundbreaking. So mm-hmm. I can see why they belong. Mm-hmm. As compared to like the Ramones or, you know, bands like that who aren't really rock bands. They're more punk rock. That's true. You're right. New so, York Dolls got nominated this year. So there's a there's so much crossover there that at some point you just go, it's all just music. Just dump it all in there. Whatever. Yeah, I think I'm more of that camp. There's so much crossover between even the genres. You know, one came out of the other. Like you're saying, punk came right. out of rock and hip hop came out of blues and, I don't know, jazz. And, and then, and yeah, and then you got rock rap. Those bands are going to start going in here soon. Yeah, what's Kid Rock going to do? They're not going to know what to do with him. Probably give him his own wing. <laughs> well, I'm, that's bummed out. I'm bummed out that they're not going to accept it, but, you know, I understand. Well, that's just, that's the rumor I heard. I haven't actually seen anything official yet, but I think he said they're not going to show up even or nothing. Well, what could be more rock and roll than that? That's true. In other 80s news, and related to our topic, we have learned, and this is via New Jersey or NJ.com, I should say, which is a publication that's uh, out of New Jersey. You probably figured hmm. that out. That um, my uh, home state and one of the amusement parks that I frequented, because I was not allowed to go to Action Park, we'll talk about that in a minute or two, um, Six Flags Great Adventure will this, let's see, well, there's no data as to when it's going to open, but when it does, their Jersey Devil Coaster will be the tallest, longest, and fastest single rail coaster in the world. Holy bejeebus. That's amazing. Yeah. It's supposed to, now, this is what's confusing. Like, I tried to get some stats to see, well, what is the current reigning uh, fastest, tallest, longest single rail coaster? I couldn't find it. There's a lot of different variations of roller coasters, so I don't know. But this one, when it's done, at least, will be 100. And this doesn't sound that impressive, which is why I started Googling it. But again, this is single rail. So I guess the technology that allows it to be single rail requires that it be below certain heights that, I guess, double rail, full rail, coasters are not bound by. So this will be 130 feet tall and will reach speeds up to 58 miles per hour along more than 3,000 feet of track. Well, the length of it sounds pretty long. Of course, the this uh, this uh, Jersey Devil is... is Roller coasters is named after our our state mascot. Do other states have? Let's see. Do other states have fictional or uh, cryptids as mascots? I wonder. Is that just that's what New Jersey does? You know, of course, the New Jersey Devil is our. Hmm, let me think. I don't know. I can't think of any other examples. Um, but uh, the folks over at uh, Six Flags say that legend says the Jersey Devil has haunted the Pine Barrens for centuries, soaring stealthily through the woods in the dark night before attacking its prey. 
modern day folklore, even places this beast near the theme park's Great Lake with its menacing curled horns manifesting under a full moon. You know what? I'm kind of jealous of the, the Jersey Devil. I wish we had something that cool here. I wish our state mascot was Bigfoot or something. That'd be <laughs> awesome. Yeah, would that be, so yeah, of all your cryptids, would that be the one that you think would be most Ohio-like or, ho- yeah. Hmm. Well, Lake Erie Monster. We, yeah. we had the hockey team for a while. Oh, that's true. Yeah, Lake Erie Monster, right, for folks that don't know what you're talking about, right. But th- yeah, but that's not even based on like a legend like Nessie or something, right? But yeah, or we, I think we should have just made one up like the Jersey Devil at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm, we're going to have to do that. Yeah. We could uh, Frankenstein a bunch of cryptids together, you know? <laughs> We're going to have to get somebody big to go out in the woods in a monkey suit and start stomping around. (laughs) Yes, right. (laughs) The ride's four sleek trains will hold 12 passengers each as they sit low and in line with their legs straddling either side of the monorail track. The ride will feature an 87-degree drop and five inversions. Wait a second. They will sit low and in line with their legs straddling either side of the monorail track? It sounds like there isn't even a cart. That you're in. They're, they're basically just throwing you off a hill? Yeah. <laughs> now, that's Action Park. I was going to say, oh. Action Park already did that. Yeah, no, now they have some regulations, I think. Huh. All right, well, hey, we can talk about whether or not you would dare to go on the Jersey Devil and whether I would dare uh, as soon as we get out of 80s news. So let's do that now. Well, well hold, hold on a second. I got something I want to bring up. Me, me and my son were watching a movie yesterday, all right? Okay. I'm going to describe it to you. All right. And then I'm going to tell you what he said about this movie. Mm, okay. okay. You try and guess which movie we watched. Okay. It opens with a chase scene. Okay. Yep. Got it. Beverly Hills Cop. And, and then a kid mm, uh, is digging through some stuff and finds a book that's got a stone with some holes in it. And then they use uh, it to look through it. Mm. And it lines up perfectly with where oh, they need the to Goonies, go. The Goonies. You think it's the Goonies. It's Finding Ohana. Oh, are you kidding? Yeah. We almost watched that. So Brody tells me, yeah. he goes, this movie's great. You're going to like it. <laughs> I go, how great is it? He goes, it's better than the Goonies. Mm. That was his exact phrase. Yeah. So I started watching it, and so I started nitpicking it, and I'm going to yeah. him. <laughs> oh, that poor kid. And, he, and then he goes, you know what? They did steal all this from the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my kids would catch that too. That's funny. So had he not compared it to the Goonies, would you have nitpicked it while you were watching it? Yeah, I think I would have still noticed the yeah. similarities. But I think subliminally, he picked up on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of, of any movie, he picked the Goonies to compare it to. Right. Hmm. So did you watch the whole movie? Is it any good? Oh, no, I didn't watch the whole movie. Oh, okay. I made it about halfway through. The Goonies ripoff. Well, in my opinion, Goonies is better, so I didn't need to see the ending because I started guessing what happened later in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. And then things would start happening. And I'm like, all right, I'm done with this. Mm. They have just like, you know, doppelganger versions of all the characters from the Goonies. Well, it's funny. Like uh, the older brother ends up having to chase down his younger sister because it's a sister this time. Hmm. And I'm like, there's Brand. No way. And And I'm like, uh, oh, and he's going to hook up with the girl. You remember the girl with the yellow sweater from Goonies? I bet there's a girl in yellow. And there's a girl in yellow that shows up with her. Yeah. Huh. It's not a sweater, but it's a girl. She's got on a yellow shirt, and she ends up a brand, and they're going after the kids and stuff. And I want to see if like, anyone else picked up on this on the internet. Oh, my gosh. I didn't finish typing it in. I typed in Finding Ohana, G-O, and Goonies yeah. ripoff came up. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, man. The first article is one day ago. Finding Ohana, Netflix reimagines take on the Goonies in Ohio. No, it's, it's set in uh, Hawaii. Oh, sorry. In my head, those vowels are the same. They line up. I wish Ohio and Hawaii were the same place. <laughs> or as nearly as exciting, yeah. Had this uh, treasure hidden here. So yeah, it says, uh, there's no secret that this was an homage to the Goonies. In fact, wait a second. This seems to suggest that the actor who plays a data may be involved in the film. Ki uh, Kwan. Ki Hoi Kwan. He's in a supporting role. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I remember seeing him. And when I watch it with my family, should I mention it or just see no. if they're like, what's no, no, going wait on here? <laughs> wait and see if they pick up on it. Hmm. All right, that's what like we'll I do said, tomorrow. My, my son picked up on it subliminally. Yeah. Subliminally. Yeah, that's the word. I hate that word. <laughs> yeah. That's another one that's hard to say. All right, well, we'll uh, obviously, I don't expect it to stand up at all to a 1980s, the 1980s original, but... I'll give it a shot. It's not bad. Cool. Hey, that was the 80s news. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, today on the show, we are going to be talking about uh, amusement parks, rides, uh, you know, county fairs, 
I don't know, blue ribbon pig contests, whatever you got that we experienced in the 1980s. And a little bit later, we're going to be joined by Seth Porges, who, if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it. Uh, it's on HBO Max right now. It's called Class Action Park. It is a documentary about the craziest, the wildest, the most dangerous theme park ever. And it was uh, in its heyday in the 1980s. Uh, we'll be talking with uh, Seth in a little bit. But before that, hey, I wanted to check in with you because we've, look, you and I as adults have gone to theme park together. We've uh, visited Cedar Point, at least on one occasion. Mm-hmm. I don't think we rode any rides. Our kids did. Oh, I definitely rode some rides. While we were there together? Oh, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, I went on a lot of the rides because that was one of the last years Mean Streak was going to be open. Jeez, why is that such a fuzzy memory? Probably because you were drinking a little bit with me that day. <laughs> that is true. I was. And as you know, I don't drink often so or much, I should say. So a little bit and would be you, enough. And if you don't drink a lot, then yep. try and ride roller coasters while you're drinking, you could have been in trouble. So Yeah. I remember I almost got beat up by a bunch of teenagers asking them to stop smoking in front of the restaurant we ate at. <laughs> hmm. I remember that. Oh, I kept thinking, why didn't he just go tell like... Somebody who the works manager? here to go yell at him. I thought you were going to be right behind me. And I was going to be like, well, let oh, me introduce no, no. you to my buddy, Ray. Ray? And I was like, you know what? If you want to smoke, you can smoke. And yet you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. I just backed right yeah, back Yeah, why in. would I get up and go bother kids smoking? <laughs> right. It's not my job. I paid them good money for somebody else to get up and go tell them to quit smoking. Mm. Well, they did walk away. Because I pretend to have a walkie-talkie. I was like, oh, we got some trouble over here. <laughs> <laughs> they were actually looking for security to report you yeah. for impersonating an officer. <laughs> we're being harassed by an old man. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, maybe we did ride rides, uh, whatever. I guess my point being was, I don't remember that, but we've gone. And so, but yeah. we, but my point is that we've never, uh, I think, talked about our experiences as kids going to theme parks or rides or county fairs mm-hmm. or what's that one up near Cleveland? Uh, Memphis. Mem- Memphis Kitty Park. Yeah. So were you a fan of, uh, Rides and uh, when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. I love the rides. Started off as a little kid at Memphis Kitty Park. They got this little wooden roller coaster called the Little Dipper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That thing really jerks your neck back that first little drop. I mean, it's kind of like. Oh, yeah. Because you have to, as an adult, you have to ride it with your kids. Yeah. And you're all scrunched up in there like, why, why do I have to get in this thing with it? My kid barely fits in this thing. Yeah. And when you're a kid, at least the back of it, like, covers the head. So if your head gets yeah. back, you have something to lean against. As an adult, it's at the right height to just hit you right in the back of the neck. So when your neck bends back, it's like, you know, neck cracking yeah. territory. But but as soon as you get off of that thing, you start examining it and looking at it. Like, yep. I think I could build this. <laughs> I think I could do this in my backyard. <laughs> and it'd be awesome. That's what the uh, what Gene Mulvihill did when he <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> created Action Park. That's pretty much. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about that in a little while. So, okay, what do you graduate from, from Memphis Kitty Park? What's the, I know you, we had, a, we had Geauga, I guess, Geauga Lake still back then, right? And Yeah, you got, then you go to, because Geauga Lake in the early days, I thought was Geauga Lake was more fun than Cedar Point. Yeah. It was just more fun to walk around and hang out and, mm. and, you know, play the games and stuff. But then eventually Cedar Point just got so big that you just had no choice. But uh, I want to ride that, so I got to go there. Yeah. And as much as it costs, yeah. you really pick one or the other. Right. Did you have any favorite rides? Were you a fan of the big coasters or? Absolutely. But my, my favorite all-time ride is the Blue Streak. Oh. The boy. original coaster at the park. Pass. Love that. I love Mean Streak. I love the wooden coasters that beat the holy crap out of you. That's exactly why I hate them. Because you know that thing could actually at one point fly off the rails <laughs> as violent as it shaking and jumping yep. around. But um, one of the coolest things about the Blue Streak, when I was in high school. Yep. The high school I went to, every year they have a day where pretty much the entire high school goes to Cedar Point, but it's like senior day there. Right. But pretty much everybody goes. So I think it was my freshman year. I get there at my buddies and uh, I don't know why. Somehow we split up because obviously I want to go ride Blue Streak. They're like, yeah, we're going to go ride Real Rides real quick. We'll catch up with you. So I'm headed that way. And I see the cops got this guy dragging him out. Like, as I'm coming towards the ride, he, they're coming back with him from the other direction. Yep. Now, back then, they had a lap belt that was really loose and that little silver bar that went over your lap, right. which is also really loose. So as the story goes, as I get closer, I can hear people talking about what he did. And what he did was is he got in the back of the coaster, yep. hooked his feet under the bar, jumped on the back of the seat, and used the seatbelt like the <laughs> horse's reins on a stagecoach 
and rode the blue streak on the back of the car and was immediately removed from the park. Did he get around the track? Do you know? Yeah. As far as I know, they made a, they let that, they went around and he came back to station and they, the security took him out of there. Wow. I mean, yeah. you got to be dumb or have a death wish. No, it's, it's an older coaster. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's probably, it's only like, I, I don't know, it's probably 35, 40 miles an hour. Yeah. And it's and only got one big hill. And that's a guy who would have, uh, you know, been the star of Action Park. He would have been running that joint, inventing rides. Imagine, yeah, I was going to say, imagine what he did if he went there. He would create that ride where you stand on <laughs> on the cart with reins. So you were never intimidated by these things then? No, I like them. They're fun. Mm. Like I told you, the trick is, is when you clear the first, when you're going down the first hill, yes. you have to take a big deep breath yeah. and exhale as you go down the hill. Right. You can't lose your stomach if you're exhaling. I would imagine it's also kind of looser. So, because if you're holding on tight, that first drop, or when you when you start going back up, your neck can kind of get jerked. If you're more relaxed and go yeah. with the flow, it helps. Yeah, and that's why we drink. <laughs> I don't know why you hate the wooden roller coasters. Because they beat you up. Like you said, it's not fun to me. You, I get off, my it's neck It's like hurts, a car accident. My, <laughs> it is. It's like surviving a car accident. <laughs> now, you know, staying on Cedar Point, and I've only experienced that as an adult, so certainly not in the 1980s. And they didn't really have these in the 1980s. But the new technology for roller coasters... Some of those rides at Cedar Point that they have that are on the metal, you know, tracks or hanging the suspended ones or mm-hmm. that one they have a uh, gatekeeper where you're on those wings. Oh, it's so smooth. You could fall asleep on it. Yeah. Oh, that thing's awesome. Oh, yeah. But it's oh. not like being on a ride. Eh. It's like, it's like being in a simulator. Like, <laughs> oh, you still get the G-forces and stuff. I, I like that one ride. I don't think they have it anymore. What was it? The one where you, uh, I think you're like standing. But it's basically like getting uh, having a someone just punch you in the <laughs> the entire time. You know, it's <laughs> Raptor. Uh-huh. I don't remember. I can't remember which one's which anymore. But when I was a kid, I was terrified of those rides. And I think in part was because, this is the only thing I can figure. Because as an adult, I'm not scared of those rides. I like to go on those rides. Um, certainly they could be intimidating, you know, because you're up pretty high and going pretty fast. But, you know, for the most part, you, you know, you're not going to die. Asterisk C Action Park. But when I was a kid, I was scared. And I think part of it was, is when I was very young, we would frequent the uh, rides at the boardwalks down the Jersey Shore. And there's miles and miles mm. of boardwalk and rides, you know? Every mile or so, there's another boardwalk with another set of Ferris wheels and roller coasters. But it was what you imagined. They weren't, they didn't seem any more uh, stable, safe, uh, well-engineered than like your county fair something that would set up over a yeah. weekend. Yeah, carny folk run that stuff. Yes. It's it's like they set up for the weekend and just never left. So that's that kind of quality. But when I would go on these rides that already seemed kind of shady, even when I was a kid, go with my cousin and he would seem determined, this is how you'd probably be if you and I were on a ride as kids. He would seem to determine to test the bounds of the ride. Like if we were in a Ferris wheel, he would be shaking the cart. Like, let's see how, if this can keep us up here. <laughs> now as a risk averse yeah. child, and someone who had a strong uh, self-preservation interest, I'd be terrified. Like, no, stop that. You're going to kill us. Nah. And he would do this on every ride. Roller coasters. Let's see if we can get it off the track. I would never be that cruel. No. I would probably just keep a bolt in my pocket and then reach down and pick <laughs> it up and go, I wonder where this came from. <laughs> you think they need this? And then as the ride starts, <laughs> oh, well, we should probably, you know, we'll tell them when we get back. Uh, when we get off, we'll let them know. That would work really well on those wooden coasters because they're so creaky. <laughs> By design, they sound like they're going to break while you're on them just to scare you. Well, that's part of the enjoyment of it is, yes. is that it's made of wood. It could explode at any time. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. I think that fear that from a, as a young child thinking that this thing could break because if someone like my cousin who was, you know. Try, trying to break it. <laughs> trying to break it. That's stuck with me. So, you know, even when, even when I was a older teen, I remember going to a, a park with my family and I didn't want to go on any of the rides. <laughs> So, you know, we're going to be talking about Action Park. I I didn't, like I said, I wasn't allowed to go there when I was a kid, (laughs) but we went to Great Adventure instead, which was a Six Flags uh, place. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I was a kid, there was a different kind of danger there because, you know, people were getting shot and stabbed. (laughs) (laughs) And I came across a story from the, in the New York Times from 1987 in April, which talked about on one particular day, two people got stabbed and one person was shot within like just a few hours of each other that finally, finally, after the the third person was shot, they decided to shut the park early and evacuate to deal with the, you know, attempted <laughs> murders that were going around. So it was a different reason we feared going in there eventually, but um, 
not for the same reason we feared Action Park. So here's an interesting story. Yeah. In like 83, 84, they decided they were going to retrofit regular coasters to be stand-up coasters. Okay. <laughs> and one of them was at Six Flags o- over Mid-America, and it became known as the Railblazer. Hmm. So they refitted this thing to make it a stand-up coaster, and officially a woman fell out of it oh, and died. And um, the official cause was they said she fainted. Oh, boy. It's kind of an urban legendy thing now. Yeah. But at the time, there were people coming off, and there were multiple other reasons why this happened. Yeah. One guy claimed he saw the woman's husband shove her oh, off boy. the ride. <laughs> and another guy said she was so fat that she broke mm. the restraints and came out. So we really don't know, I guess. So we don't, we don't know the answer mm. to that mystery. Now, how could... There's got to be some kind, again, it's in the early 80s, you're saying they're shifting from, you know, they're, they're refitting <laughs> these ones. How, there had to be some kind of safety harness to hold you in or something. I mean, Yeah, apparently they just took the seats out of this thing and put in some kind of Rains. upright thing with a, <laughs> a harness to hold you in it. Mm. But officially that said she faded on the ride and when she went loose, yeah. that was enough for her to slip out of the restraints and go flying. Maybe it's like a Hannibal Lecter type restraint, you know, like when he gets wheeled in, <laughs> but it's in the cars. I like stand up roller coasters. Those are kind of cool. It's different. It's it's fun to try different. I like the lay, lay down, stand up, sit down, mm-hmm. hanging from the rails. Yeah. Options are good. Now, in order for me to get on a roller coaster next time, because, you know, these accidents happen, they, they seem, in my, in my mind, they happened more longer ago, but now we've got it all figured out. And if I do my part, I'll be safe. Well, that's not absolutely True. Dang it! Why? Why would you say that? Well, this is what I how I get on the rides. Well, you have to you have to look up when the last accident was. I see, and then you can do a timeline thing of well, they're mm. not due for another accident for a while. I see. Statistically speaking, the odds so are. Statistically speaking, you should find one that just had a horrible tragedy, <laughs> and just ride that one all day long. I gotta I gotta look for where they're clearing police tape away. As soon as they've taken that tape down. Excuse me. When was the last time a person was horribly maimed or died on this ride? Uh, sir, I'm not allowed to answer that question. Tuesday. <laughs> Excellent. Family, this way. We'll be riding yeah. this for the remainder of the day. <laughs> this is our ride right here. Oh, boy. No, that's terrible. You know, that ride was still probably safer than the safest ride at Action Park. Speaking of that, we'll be right back with our guest, the writer slash co-director slash co-producer of Class Action Park, Seth Porges. Once again, it's time for Couple of Idiots. As a journalist, our guest today has worked as an editor for both Maxim and Popular Mechanics magazines and has written for Bloomberg News and TechCrunch. As a filmmaker, our guest, along with his partner, Chris Charles Scott, produced and directed the first ever feature-length documentary to explore the legend, legacy, and truth behind the world's most dangerous theme park. Seated in the quaint town of Vernon, New Jersey, Action Park lured young thrill-seekers to its dangers throughout the 1980s, creating an experience that combined the best and worst of Steven Spielberg and Stephen King films from that decade. With a 96% rating on the review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes, the film is as thrilling as the park itself and filled with plenty of twists and turns, too. And you can enjoy all the fun without the life-threatening danger right now on HBO Max. Please welcome to the show, Seth Porges. Hey, Seth. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for chatting. Um, Such a big fan of Class Action Park. Uh, I think had I not grown up in Northeastern New Jersey, I would have been a fan anyway because it's, it's done... It's done so well. It's surprisingly poignant at times and uh, moving and also hilarious. Oh, just like life itself, right? Because <laughs> all those places. Yes. And, and I know that, um, I think you even mentioned this in a documentary, you know, what's, look, it was something that was a novelty in the 1980s, this place, but you mentioned this, I believe in the film, that it, it very much, the place itself was like a, it's a living embodiment of 1980s pop culture and, and lifestyle, uh, films, movies, all these. Yeah, 
I kind of view it as like a hyper distilled version of of everything about growing up in the 80s. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the fact that you had these this freedom, this immense feeling of possibility, but also the the, the danger and yep. the dark side that goes along with it. And really to us, what the movie was about in large part was this idea that like, yes, it's possible to look back at your childhood and say that that rocked. I love that stuff. I miss that stuff. While simultaneously be like cognizant of the fact that, holy cow, how did we survive <laughs> any of that? Yeah. That was terrifying. And if I ever have kids, I would do anything in my power to keep them from experiencing that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And along those lines, I was not allowed to go to Action Park. I was one of those kids who was prohibited. <laughs> Great adventure was as, as exciting as it got in our household. And for me, as a, you know, as a young person, that was terrifying enough. Well, I mean, that tells me right there, like people knew, like yeah. your parents knew. Your parents wouldn't have said, don't go to Action Park if they didn't know what Action Park was. Yeah. They probably called it Traction Park or Action <laughs> yes. Park or, or Class Action Park. And that to me is like one of the most fascinating things about, about Action Park. It's not that there was this dangerous place, is there was this dangerous place and everybody knew it was dangerous. Oh, and that's why people went to it. Yep. You know, it. yeah, and that's what's so crazy about the place. That's what's weird because I'm from Ohio and we, we saw the commercials. And we thought it was just a regular park. They tricked you. Had we known that it was actually as cool as it is in, in your documentary, we probably would have just all started heading out there. Yep. Well, you guys are probably like, we've got Cedar Point. Right. Why would we go to New Jersey and <laughs> yeah. not realizing like, oh yeah, Cedar Point like has, you know, safety measures and like doesn't serve alcohol to 12 year olds and yeah. isn't like paying off state officials <laughs> that keep like regulators out and, and all, all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Had they advertised that in the commercials? <laughs> Yeah, teens. They could have quadrupled their money. Well, and, and the owners were were super aware that the danger was a part of the appeal. You know, they would get we we show dozens of newspaper articles in the in the movie about right. accidents, about injuries, about about issues the park is having. And every time one of those articles would run, they'd get a boost in attendance. You know, so so they kind of had these, I guess, like parallel marketing campaigns. They had the commercials they put out. A lot, lot of them kind of aimed at families. You know, yeah. I, I ended up going as a kid because my parents saw those ads and thought this is a great place to bring your family yep. not having any idea what it actually was i always i asked my parents i'm like okay that explains the first time we went <laughs> we go back um but th but then at the same time they they were super aware about what their reputation was and very aware that this is what was drawing people there yeah. and in many ways leaned into it yeah so are you from the area of action park or uh, how did you find out from, about from yeah, I'm from the D.C. area, okay. but my family went to all sorts of amusement parks and, and theme parks. Mm. Like growing up, we'd go to King's Dominion. We'd go to Busch Gardens. we go to Six Flags, sometimes down to Disney World, Universal Studios, and then sometimes up to Action Park, uh, especially because my dad is from Jersey. So mm. there might be like family reasons to be in the area. Right. Um, and and we, we'd go to Action Park. And it was it was crazy. And I had these memories, a lot of what kind of set me down the path to be like sitting here right now talking about this movie with you guys is that I had these memories as a very young kid uh, that I really didn't believe as I got older. <laughs> and I really just kind of wanted to like, because, you know, when you look back at your childhood, you're like, was that real or is that something I saw in The Simpsons? Was yeah. that real or is that from a Looney Tunes cartoon? Was that real or is that from, you know, it's hard to like really tell where the fantasy and reality begin and end in your deep, dark childhood memories. And I was like, there's no way that I saw that. There's no way there was like a water slide that went in a full loop. <laughs> there's no way. There's no way there was like kids jumping off a 30 foot cliff and like banging their heads on the way. Like there's no way that was real. And I, I just became very obsessed almost with, with digging into it because everywhere I looked, it's like, oh yeah, that was real and, and, and 10 times worse. <laughs> now you make me realize if I was a documentarian, geez, there's so many things in my life I would be making films about to investigate what really happened. Was I really yeah. a jerk? I'll call Netflix right now. Six part <laughs> series on, were you a jerk? <laughs> so. I think I'd like to answer it in just a couple episodes, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, you could. It doesn't need, uh, doesn't need to be that long. So, <laughs> you know, one of the things that uh, I guess is so surprising about the film to me, just initially at the threshold. So, and for folks who don't know, and you should certainly watch the film, we can't possibly capture the the essence of the film. Out now on HBO Max, yes, by the way. Yeah. Yes. And doing really well, very well regarded. It's, it's mm -hmm. just fantastic. Um, that this gentleman, Gene Mulvihill, maybe gentleman's a little yeah. strong, but he was essentially run out of Wall Street for uh, penny stocks. Takes his mm -hmm. money and says, hey, I'd like to own an uh, amusement park. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't quite like 
hey, one day I'm going to open an amusement park. Yeah. It was more, he he bought up these ski resorts in New Jersey for pretty cheap. And there's all sorts of stories about uh, how that deal came to be um, that we don't don't really go into the movie. But I assure you, there was at least a little bit of shadiness involved yes. with that. There <laughs> always is, you know, just just like a, at least like a pergola's worth of shade uh, going on with this, you know, sun sails worth of shade. Um he buys him up and he very quickly, you know, he wasn't from the ski industry and he's in New Jersey and he's like, these things are open for like two months a year. It's New Jersey. The, 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 the climate is like borderline for a ski resort. You can't get much action. There's almost no snow. Like what's going on here? Yeah. So he's like, how can we make money all year round? And the thing that really made him want to do that is he saw the real money coming, not from, you know, selling lift passes to ski resort, but from selling condos. So it would kind of be slope side and in the area. And so he was like, okay, if I can make this a year round destination where there's summer activities too, we can sell a lot more condos. And so they start building, it wasn't even just like, Hey, we're building action park. They start building a couple warm weather attractions. They'd have like a petting zoo. They had roller skating. The Alpine slide was kind of the first thing. They actually, the name for it was alternately, depending what source you're looking at, Vernon Valley, Vernon Valley fun farm, Mm. or uh, like Vernon Valley, something like that. Right. It's called Mm. like Vernon Valley fun farm. This is really kind of informal place. And then, you know, they get enough attractions in 78. They're like, you know what? This is an amusement park and they call it action park and it's born. Yeah. I think the thing that's most mystifying to me is how, and again, maybe this is just attributed to, Hey, it was the 1980s is how far he was able to get. It seems, you know, having rides constructed based on a thing he doodled on a napkin, having uh, rides constructed by local, you know, not necessarily, not uh, experts in constructing these things. No. It seems like without (laughs) permits, without government uh, Uh inspections, how, how, how could he get away with it for so long? Uh, (laughs) Sort of the big question, isn't it? It's, I think what Eugene Mulvihill was able to get away with is what makes him such an interesting and polarizing figure. I think half the people Half, half the people who watch this movie walk away saying that guy was a monster. It's terrible. Can't believe all things didn't half the people watch it are like, he got it done. He got it done. And I think we as Americans, like wherever you fall in that, are, I think are very, are, are fascinated with people who ignore rules in the pursuit of a vision, a dream or whatever it might be. I'm not saying we defend that, but we're, yep. obs- we're interested in it. We're obsessed with it. And how he did it was, you know, the same way all these guys do it. They're super charming. They know how to sprinkle the right money in the right places. They know how to make the right political connections. They know how to ask for forgiveness, not permission. You know, he came from the world of of Wall Street, the penny stock world, where breaking rules was sort of par for the course, right? And, but you'd have regulators, you had like the SEC, slow as they might be, you had like some form of regulation that would slap your wrist and tell you no. Well, he takes that attitude, those tactics, from Wall Street. And he takes into a small town in New Jersey where there's like, what, a local planning board? What are they going to do? You know? <laughs> and, and basically takes all of this, this, these ask forgiveness, that permission, these tactics, strong arming that was effectively super commonplace in Wall Street and still is, and applies it to a small town in New Jersey that has absolutely no idea how to deal with this guy. And he could get away with almost anything. The, the crazy thing, I mean, well, I lived in New Jersey for many years. I'm born and raised from New Jersey. I only moved away, you know, 10, 15 years, 15 years ago to Ohio. I couldn't put a deck in my backyard without having a guy come and inspect it every week. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Like regulators were pretty tough on other amusement parks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, you know, they, they, for lack, you know, they had, they had friends on the inside. They mm-hmm. would be alerted when inspectors were coming by, they knew these yep. things. Like they had, he had a pretty sophisticated political apparatus, I'll say. Uh, you know, he he kind of knew how to both get things done and keep things from being done to him. He was oper- he was playing with a different rule book than Great Adventure mm-hmm. was, you know? And it's kind of amazing. It, it's not just that he was able to get away with it for so long. He was getting... There was never a point when he wasn't able to get away with it. When the park shut down, it was never because of these issues. It was shut down due to bankruptcy. Right. You know, he shut it down. And at no point the state of New Jersey or the federal government say, Action Park had enough. You guys have to close. Wasn't the case. Uh, you know, he could have probably gone on for years, although, you know, times were changing. It's to your point, at some point, he's found to not have any insurance or have faked the insurance yeah. for the park. And, you know, he's what is 110 count uh, indictment for fraud or something like that. And so the state takes control of the property, I believe, right? No, no, no. They ordered him 
to sell the property. Okay. Because at this point, Action Park and the ski resort, a large portion of it was on state-owned land, and they had a lease. And they had terms in that lease. And one of those terms was you got to have insurance, right? right? And a bunch of other stuff. He just like, you know, he had somebody he had to answer to, and he didn't like that as a ideological point, right? Like he had a landlord, he had somebody who had rules that he had to follow. Um, and he didn't want to buy insurance because he, from again, an ideological perspective, didn't really believe in the concept of insurance. He thought that he had this kind of say like hyper libertarian worldview where if you got hurt, your fault, man, deal yep. with it. Right. <laughs> he didn't believe in the concept of insurance. He thought the fact that he had to pay insurance premiums was a waste of money. Uh, he would brag to his friends that he had figured out a loophole and even considered selling policies at his fake insurance company to other ski owners. He's like, listen, guys, I figured it out. You don't actually need insurance. I'll insure you for like so much cheaper. It'll be oh great. Right. So, um, but so, so the state after, uh, and, and he would, after this got disclosed, there was a large scale investigation by the state, 110 count indictment. He pled guilty to like five or six counts of things like insurance fraud and money laundering, you know, small things like that. Um, yeah. And part of the, the settlement was that the state ordered him to kind of cede control of the property. Like you are mm -hmm. unfit to control this place. Right. And um, he decided he didn't want to do that. So he, basically hemmed and hawed and delayed uh, for a while. We didn't really have time to go into in the movie, but he left town and the park was placed in control of an impartial third party, his daughter. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, true story. Uh, he was really good at doing things like creating a new shell corporation that would suddenly be a different company, all of this wow. kind of stuff. And, and the state just got so fed up with all of this that they just threw their hands in there. We're like, okay, we're just going to sell you this property so we don't have to deal with you anymore. And they sold it to him for just over $800,000, which buys you a condo in Newark now. Yeah. <laughs> so, Yes. The most fascinating, there's just, there's so many rides. And you guys, you did such a great job of, you know, look, again, there's a mixture of emotions that you go through when you watch this documentary yeah. because ultimately there is tragedy in the park because of how irresponsible uh, Mulva Hill is and, the, you know, and, and a lot of it is in the, in the, in the concept and the execution of these rides is, you know, leads to you know, death. Uh, and so, uh, but you, prior to that, we see some real fun animations that just make it really hilarious. The possible dangers of these rides. One of my favorite is the cannonball loop. Um, cannonball I loop. Think, I think it's a, uh, Chris Gethard, who uh, describes it as staring into darkness. Yeah, it, I mean, he had so many amazing lines in the movie. Yes. That, that wasn't him, actually, because he never he never wrote it. Oh, okay. uh, it so, uh, the people who we spoke about that experience uh, were, were some former employees. You know, it was a ride that for, you know, again, we should tell people what this thing is. It was yes. a tube water slide that at the end had like a Hot Wheel style loop-de-loop. And you think about it, you go on a roller coaster, sure, plenty of roller coasters have loops. Yeah, but in a roller coaster, you're like strapped in, you know? On a water slide, you're just like gravity and friction, man. Like whatever happens, happens. So people would go down. Sometimes they wouldn't get enough force to make it through. They get stuck. Sometimes they get to the top and fall and smash their face. Mm. You'd see video of people go in and they go in facing one way and they come out facing a completely different direction. And you're like, how is that possible? Like yeah. what, what black magic is occurring inside this tube? Yeah. And of course the famous thing about this ride that I think tells you everything is that in order to test it out, Gene, the owner would literally wave hundred dollar bills in the air for employees <laughs> to grab and be a human Guinea yeah. pig. Yeah. Um, but somebody corrected me. Only the older kids got hundred dollars. The younger ones got 50. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I remember the, talking about how folks came, would come out the other side with all these lacerations and ultimately yeah. they realized it's because other people had lost teeth that were there yeah. then lodged in the tube. Oh my goodness. It's a, it's a it was just like a, like a, like a, yeah, it's like a nightmare monster, like some Lovecraftian intestine monster. You go through it, it just <laughs> yes. eats you. It is like, it is this, it is the stuff of nightmares. Like yes. imagining going through a water slide that has human teeth embedded yeah. in it. Like, I can't think of, I, yeah. I don't have the imagination to come up with that. Like, like there's nothing at action park that I, as a writer could ever say, <laughs> like this, this is even in my brain and it's bouncing around in somewhere. It's so just weird and dark and messy. Yeah. And that one, that one for some reason encapsulates like all of my phobias, 
you know, yeah. the uh, claustrophobia, the darkness, the getting stuck. Like I, I thought it, it's if someone gets phobias. stuck yeah. up there, I know they, they said they built a trap door to get them out, but what eventually they, like, it wasn't there first. <laughs> it was yeah. actually added. <laughs> yeah. It was added later. It wasn't there first. They had the, there was a lot of, uh, you know, testing and iterating. Here's what fascinates me about that ride. This thing. Okay. It was open in total on and off. Not very often, right? The, mm-hmm. You'll find some reporting out there. It's like it was only open for one summer. It was actually right. open a little more than that, kind of sporadically on and off. But it wasn't open much. But they still tried. <laughs> they were obsessed <laughs> for years. Get it, they, he was still throwing for like more than like at least 10 years. He was yep. throwing kids down that thing and handing them $100 bills. That wasn't like here's one Saturday, $100 bills. Who's right? That went on for years. And it's like, to what end? And I just can't, I just can't help but think he was like, Gene, the owner was probably like, I have, this is it. This is my life. Everything else here is because I have to like, like it's like, what's going to happen if you get this to work? Is it going to be like the machine in the movie contact and open up like a portal to another, like, like, like he was just so obsessed with getting this slide to work and it, it never worked right. It hurt a lot of people. Um, but you know, I spoke to people went in the eighties. I spoke to people went down in the nineties. They never got it to work, but they tried for years and years and years. And also it was right there at the entrance to the park. It was the very first thing you see. And I like to say like, you know, you walk into Disneyland. First thing you see is like fairy tale castle. Yep. Tells you everything you need to know about where you're, where you're about to go. Right. First thing yep. you see when you walk up to action park is an insane water slide that goes in a full 360 degree loop. It tells you everything yep. and it sets the tone for everything. Uh, it makes you realize like, Oh, everything I thought was possible. The rules are just different here. And I was thinking, you know, one of the things you learned in the documentary is how it's, it was run by children, essentially. You know, you've got yeah. uh, teenagers that would age up and then be a, a bit supervisor or manager, but, you know, at 16 or 17. Yeah, yeah. And except for like a very few high level people, it's all teenagers. And that was, that was both because, okay, there's a lot of high school kids in the town needing a summer job, but also Gene liked having employees who, he could, you know, who would do what he told him to, you know, you didn't yeah. want people asking too many questions. Yeah. yeah. Cause kids don't know that it's not proper to be no. using any of these uh, rides the way they're using. Yeah. And also, yeah, and exactly. And, and it's easy to make like a teenager complicit in what you're doing. <laughs> like they're, they think it's probably awesome. I mean, all the kids who grew up working there, like without fail, it's both God, that place sucked best years of my life yeah. you know it was it like and you can talk about the movie like you have to imagine there's something magical and fun and weird about that being your teenage years your childhood there was a place where anything was possible i mean the amount of freedom first of all kids in the 80s have but then imagine being a kid in the 80s who has total run of an amusement park i'm talking like kids who worked like the hotel desk would just pretend like rooms were checked out and then use the room stuff like that they'd party all night in a water park they'd like break in and look for jeans gun and shoot cans like they wow. just do whatever you want and you get, and they break into the brewery. They take the go-karts on the highway, all the craziness about being a teenager. Plus I have the keys to an amusement park that I can go into at night and do whatever I want on. Like that's wild. Right. Right. This is your paradise. I realize you yeah. did miss yeah. out. Yeah. If I was a little bit older, I probably would have built my own action park here in Ohio. To yeah. <laughs> made a car- carbon copy of it right here. Yes. So many. Exactly. So many of these rides, Ray, you know, reminded me of something you you would have done or would have loved to do, uh, like the yeah. battle action tanks, you know, which yeah. would fire tennis balls. And I, it, what is it? At some point, someone had uh, set the would set the balls on fire and actually mm-hmm. turn them into fireballs to shoot at one another. Yeah, just like a, a, a guest basically, like found a tank, like a probably like you know, like a five gallon gas, uh, like gasoline, like those red gasoline yeah. things, right? You get um, probably like a maintenance shed or something and start pouring it on the, on the balls and laying them on fire. And suddenly just shooting flaming tennis balls at people, um, which I mean, it's, it's just ludicrous. By the way, those, those tanks like that, I would have ran that. That looks so fun. Um, we did a yeah. screening of the movie at a drive-in in Brooklyn uh, right when we were coming out. And I, I found a guy who like collects old action park ride vehicles. Wow. And he brought, he brought one of the tanks there. I got to like, you know, we put it in front of the movie screen. We also had a, a Lola car, which is a racing car. And with the speed boats, and so like getting into that tank, especially I'm like, you can like, I say like, you can like feel the ghosts. Like this thing is crazy. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the speed boats. I remember again in the film, uh, 
class action park is mentioned that these are like Miami vice grade <laughs> speedboats that are yeah, used these as are bumper, bumper boats. boats. <laughs> yeah. They, they were like, here's an amusement park. We're going to give you the keys to a motorboat. That's the ride. <laughs> that's, that's the ride. It's not yeah. like, you know, you go to the jungle cruise in Disneyland. You're like yep. standing on a slow moving ride while somebody who works there is piloting it. No, 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 no. You park patron, probably intoxicated. Here's the keys to a high-speed motorboat. Oh yeah. And in addition, of course, the pond they would do circles around uh, was filled with snakes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Never mind that. Uh, as well as just like, I mean, that was, we say in the movie, it's totally true. That was the worst place. The worst job in the park mm. was to work at speedboats. Uh, if you were a lifeguard there, if you're a lifeguard at like a normal, even like the wave pool or something, you're dealing with like normal pool water for the most part. Yeah. That is just like murky swamp with snakes yeah. in it. So if somebody falls in, you got to jump in and pull yes. them out. And it's just filled with leaked gasoline and oil because <laughs> those things just like leak all day long. Just waiting to explode. A super fun site. Yeah. My goodness. <laughs> you, you could probably like a match to that pond and it would have just like, yeah. <laughs> like the Cuyahoga river some years ago. That's right. right. <laughs> That's where I would do my speed boats right there on the Cuyahoga yeah. river. He'd set yeah. it on fire. I was, I was surprised when I asked my friends, you know, but knowing I was going to speak with you, I said, Hey, any folks have any stories, any recollections? Cause everybody knew what it was. Most of my friends that chimed in were also forbidden to go there. Uh, Everybody knew it was not a secret. My one friend who did go, uh, you know, regularly said his father, not even him, his father was banned from the, uh, the go-karts, I guess it would, I don't remember uh-huh. what they call it because he would take them off road. Yeah. So, okay. First of all, you got to considering the general attitude of action park patrons, you got to do something to get banned. Like <laughs> that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> But despite that, a lot of people got banned I mean, uh, or, or kicked out. I mean, at one point, I think it was 1986 or 87, New York Giants win the Super Bowl. They go to Action Park to celebrate and they start like throwing park attendants off of the cliffs wow. and like into the Colorado, like picking them up and they're celebrating. They're drunk. They just want a Super Bowl. It's good. Action Park. Like, you know, the whole thing. I'm not going to Disneyland. No, no, I'm going to Action Park. Right. <laughs> and, and they're just like picking up park attendants and throwing them into the Colorado River, throwing them off the cliffs. Right. And these poor security guards, which again are like 17 year old kids have to, boot out the entire Super Bowl winning New York Giants from Action Park. So, wow. so your dad is no one. Yeah, I wouldn't want to approach uh, the Giants while they're on the cliff, tossing people over. Like, sir, can yes. I talk to you over here away from the cliff? Like, oh, you go over now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. And I guess you're talking about that, what, 20-foot cliff dive that they had. Yeah, yeah. That was, I mean, a, that was, a, that was a ride. That was yeah. a ride. Jump off the cliff. <laughs> Here's a cliff. What's a ride? Jump off the cliff. I think it was actually like 22 feet, the highest. There was a couple different levels. Um, And it's still there. You know, what's cool about Action Park is, you know, you can, the park is now called Mountain Creek and many, there's no looping water slide. There's no battle tank. There's no outline slide, but many of the legacy rides, ones you would never build today are sort of grandfathered into existence and still exist with lifeguards who are paying attention and a general sense of calm and rules. Mm. It's actually a really cool park to go to. Um, if you, the owners are, are awesome now, there's nothing like <laughs> the Mulvihill families. Um, they're awesome. Um, but it's a really cool park to go to if you've seen the movie, because so many of the old rides are there and you just get a sense of like weird history to it. You know, it's like, man, this is where it happened. I mean, like the Colorado river ride, which is like a raft ride back in the day at a category four rapids, but now it's a little bit calmer, of course. Yeah. Uh, it's still there, but it's so intense. So many people are smashing their faces that if you ride it today, you have to wear a face mask, like a catcher's mask. So you're going in this thing and be like, you know, wearing a bikini, a swimsuit, and like a Hannibal Lecter mask. <laughs> and you'll probably find people just like on Instagram because that's like what it is today, uh, which is pretty cool. Well, even today, there's some element of it that's the stuff of nightmares. Bikini girl in uh, Hannibal Lecter mask. So Yeah, for sure. You you mentioned your attraction to doing this film was, you know, resolving something that began long ago when you were a youth going mm-hmm. to the park itself. What is your hope for folks that see this that don't know Action Park, never heard about it? This is the first time they're exposed to it. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have a particular hope when it comes to that. I think our bigger my bigger hope and, you know, I also, of course, always need to shout out my collaborator, my co-director, Chris Charles Scott, because sure. I might use the term I, I really mean we. 
for everything I'm saying here. Um, although he did not go to the park as a kid. So for that, I mean, I, um, but really, I think what we set out to do was to tell a story about an emotion and a feeling that I think is very relatable to people who grew up in the eighties that I think is somewhat astonishing and surprising to people. I think there's sort of a share. And I think the reason this movie struck a chord, especially for people who aren't from Jersey is because even if you didn't go to action park, you did stupid stuff, you know, as, as, <laughs> Gathered says movie, we tried to die for fun. Whether you built a homemade BMX ramp, <laughs> snuck into an abandoned mental hospital, jumped into a quarry, uh, played chicken, whatever it was you were doing, you're doing stupid yep. things. And it was this chaotic, apocalyptic time to grow yeah. up. And the term apocalyptic kind of comes up again and again. And speaking to people who I think this film really struck a chord for. Um, and I think this movie really kind of brings that feeling to life in a way that I think a lot of people in the generation have struggled to express to other people. I've had people tell me like, mm. now my spouse understands me. Like, mm. like she didn't, I, 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 it's hard to put into words, these feelings, these emotions, and also the mixed, the weird nostalgia people have where they have very mixed feelings about their childhood, where they're simultaneously, again, so grateful for these experiences, which are extraordinary and so scared that they were ever allowed mm. to happen in the mm. first place. Right, yes. Um, so again, this started as a very personal journey yeah. and, and wanted to explore what was real about this park. Did you confirm what you had uh, dreamed, thought you'd yeah. only dreamt? Well, you know, and, and I, I, I realized something else is that my experience was, I'm not alone in my experience there. It, people mm. who went to Action Park as a kid found themselves telling people in their lives these stories and having people not believe them. That mm. was super common, I realized. And so Action Park became an urban myth. It became a legend, but it was an urban myth, not because any of it was like, like exaggerated or not true, but because it seemed so unbelievable, people assumed it was an urban myth. They assumed it was a legend when in fact it was all kind of true. There's no reason to make things up about Action Park because whatever I could come up with my wildest imagination pales in comparison to anything that happened on a random Saturday there, right? And so everybody who I spoke to who grew up going to Action Park was like, I told people about this place. They didn't believe me. They thought I was just, it was the boast of a kid in Jersey, like getting drunk at the bar. Right. And so finding that as sort of the, the shared common experience of action park is other people's disbelief. And then I right. think, again, one of the reasons this movie, I think really caught on, especially in this case with people who are from, Jersey is because finally they could point to something and see, like, see, I wasn't lying. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you remind me of that line. Uh, what is it that Han Solo has in Force Awakens? It was all true. It was something. all all true, all of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all of it. As cool as Action Park is, yeah. Why did he never franchise this thing and take it other places? He did. There is. Uh, he brought one to the Poconos called Action Mountain, uh, and he brought another to I think South Jersey. So they briefly actually opened up two more action park franchises mm -hmm. uh, that never as big or as legendary as the flagship, uh, but some of the same rides were there, and um, they didn't last very long. Also, I'll say I think financially. Action Park had financial issues for a lot of its existence. I think it largely fit into greater, uh, just say, ambitions of moving money around between different corporations. In again, at least a pergola's worth of shade uh, involved with it, and and the and the spinoffs never really caught on like the like the mothership so, did. So basically, this place could only exist in Jersey. Of course, man. <laughs> Possibly Massachusetts. Yes. No, um, but, uh, no. It, it, it's the most it's the most Jersey thing there is. Everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's. Like the personalities are all like characters in The Sopranos, you know. Oh, yeah. Like in the end of our movie, we show um, one of Mulvihill's obituaries, and like Chris Christie is the first person quoted in it. You know, it's everything about this guy. You hear his voice in the movie. Like, yeah, that guy's from Jersey, right? Yeah. And everything he did, um, and also not not just the Jersey of it all, but like the New York of it all too. Because a lot of people coming to it were from New York and were city people who didn't have much experience in like agrarian rural communities and were like, this is incredible. I can jump off cliffs. I can go crazy. And, you know, like it's like a dog running free on a farm for the first time. And it's all this pent up stuff kind of comes out. Is this what nature's about? Yeah. It's like, this is, there's trees here. Like exactly. hundred percent. Well, Seth, we are so grateful for your time today. Uh, look, there's, on our show, we endeavor to show how important uh, 1980s pop culture was and its sort of influence on the world. And 
You could do no better than to see uh, Seth's documentary, Class Action Park, available now on HBO Max. Uh, thank you so much, Seth. Thanks for having me. You, you, we, we've both watched documentaries, so we knew. Yeah. Speaking of Seth, though, we learned even more than we, we, we learned from the documentary itself, so that was pretty cool. But I don't know if we proved anything about the 1980s. Hmm. Well, I have something interesting oh. to bring up. Okay. That's going to loop your mind. Uh-oh. Like a roller coaster? We have proven Whoa. beyond a shadow of a doubt okay. that Action Park yes. was a way safer place Whoa. than Disneyland and Uh-oh. Disney World. Yeah, so you, <laughs> you know, okay, all oh, right, yeah, I'll buy Here's you. the facts, man. I'll here's the facts. Yes. Action Park officially has six deaths. Okay. Disneyland has nine. Mm-hmm. Disney World has 14. Wow. So you tell me which park is safer to go and hang out with the Whoa. family. Well, yes, and asterisk, because according to the paperwork, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we've watched that documentary. Gene Mulvihill was uh, not reporting everything. Well, hey, by my statistics, yep. he did an excellent job with shiesty equipment. Mm-hmm. Teenagers drunk all day. So, uh, obviously, if he only had six deaths, yep. I mean, that's too many. But if he kept it to only six, yeah. and Disney has so much money, and they do way worse. You're right. You're absolutely right. When you think of it that way, it's amazing more people didn't die on a regular basis at Action Park. And he kept it together. And we will talk to you next time on The Idiots. See ya. See ya.